The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Genesis chapter number 2 and verse number 18 is where we are. Genesis 2 and verse number 18. And the Bible says this, And the Lord said, it is not... Get ready, men. All right, are you, are you listening here? Are you ready, guys? All right, there should be an amen coming here soon. Uh, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. You guys are on it this morning, I, a little warning. And I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman." because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and, the, uh, and his wife, and were not ashamed. And let's go to the Lord and ask his blessing on his word. Father, again, we just bow before you in this assembly of saints, and we ask that you would work our hearts that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to value your design. We don't want to be uh, swayed by what the world puts in front of us is your design for the family and for the home and for marriage, but we want to value your design. We want to promote it. We want to acknowledge it. We want to submit to it. And so I pray that you'd work in our hearts today and that each one of us would have a greater understanding of what you have designed for us well on this earth. And so we give you praise and we do ask that you would uh, quiet this moment from distraction, that you would use it in our hearts uh, for eternal purposes, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, and you may be seated. So this is part number two of what we started last week and weren't able to get through, and so we're at the third point. If you'll notice inside of your worship guide, there are notes that are filled in up to the third point, and so I encourage you to, uh, to go back to the website if you were not able to be with us last week and catch up with what was last week, which in, uh, in that part of last week's sermon, we really dealt with the fact that God created humanity. He created them male and female. He created two genders. That's a shocking thing to our world today, but that's a reality in the Bible. He created two genders. He also commissioned both genders. He gave them projects to do. He gave them assignments to do. And then we saw how that God was the one who instituted the home. He was the one who, who uh, formed it as he brought one man and one woman together for marriage. And that is what constitutes a marriage, one man and one woman. And by God's design, that's for life. That's God's ideal. We need to, again, acknowledge it, submit to it, and promote it. 
And so that's so important to understand. And then he gave instructions to that first home. He said, I want you to leave father and mother. You're a new home. You're responsible for this, this home before God. And the husband is held responsible before God. You're to cleave unto your wife. And guys, that's our responsibility. We're to cleave. We're to take the lead in cleaving, being close and uniting with our, with our spouse. Knowing what knits your heart together is the idea of that. Knowing what glues you together. And there's some things that drive you apart. Don't do those things. Do what binds you together, brings you closer together, cleave your wife. And the Bible says weave. And that, that marriage is to be held in purity. The, uh, the marriage relationship is to uh, stay within, the, uh, within marriage. God did not design it to, uh, to, be, just, uh, to be treated casually and to be uh, for people to shack up. He said, no, I want you to be together and I want that marriage relationship to be uh, within marriage and I want you to honor that and I want you to exist or uh, or uh, flourish in, in purity. I want you to make sure that you do it. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews uh, chapter number 12 that, that the, the marriage uh, that is undefiled, and, but uh, whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And God holds that very, very, uh, very seriously. But here's one of the things we're trying to accomplish here. I want you to notice that all of this is found in the first book of the Bible. God did not get two chapters into the Bible before he is declaring to us many wonderful lessons that we can run on. In fact, many wonderful lessons that Adam and Eve could run on. Uh, how did Noah and his wife find favor in the eyes of God? I mean, just from the first little bit of the Bible, the first understanding from God, the revelation from God, they understood key truths from God's word, from the, his created order, how they were to exist and how they were to live out their, their lives before God. And so it's so, so very important that we understand God is trying to communicate to us uh, much within the first chapters of Genesis. Just to say a note about our, our series, the faithful family. A faithful family, a family that's full of faith. Jesus asked this question, when he returns, will he find faith on the earth? I don't know of any other time that I've heard more people say, I believe Jesus is coming back soon. I believe Jesus is coming back soon. I've told you about a lady I, uh, I, I run into every, once in a while at Panera, and she, uh, every time she sees me, she says, Jesus has to be coming back soon. Jesus has to be coming back soon. That's all I know about her. I don't even remember her name. I know this. She is a, a woman that believes that Jesus is coming back soon, and she has it written all over her face, and she, the reason we got connected, she saw me witnessing to somebody, and she's like, did she receive Christ? You know, she was just that type of person, and it's an amazing thing. Jesus is coming back soon. We realize that, but when Jesus returns, will he find faith in our families? Will he find us operating by belief according to this book, according to the revealed standard of God, the final standard of God, the, the standard of his word? We all like it when people build according to a standard, according to measurements, but will God find faith in our families? Will he find us uh, 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 building our family according to what the world says and what is popular? And there's many popular opinions about how we ought to do it. And you know what, friends? I'm telling you that his infiltrated the church and Christian homes like, I mean, it is amazing to me how much worldly philosophy has infiltrated the homes and how we uh, interact as couples, how we raise our children. It is amazing to me how, uh, how much it has infiltrated our homes. And we do well to get back to the standard of the Bible. And if the Bible says it, we believe it, and that settles it for us. That's the spirit we need to have. That's why I say we need to acknowledge it. Whether it's been your story or not, whether it's true in your life or not, whether you have some scars in the past, acknowledge God's design, submit to it. God, I didn't, I didn't do your design here, but I want to in the future and promote it. I want to help the next generation follow your design. 
Hey, parents, if you didn't follow God's design, okay, you can do nothing by living in the rearview mirror. Satan wants you to live in the rearview mirror. God does not want you to. I want to forget those things which are behind. I want to press forward. I want to press forward for the prize of the high calling of Jesus Christ. I want to live, in the, live out the windshield looking where I'm going and, and setting my eyes on God. So that's why I say acknowledge it. Okay, you have to acknowledge I didn't live up to this, but this is what I want to do. Now, God, I submit to this, and this is what I'm going to do in the future. I'm going to promote it to my children. I'm going to promote what is God's design to my grandchildren. I'm going to promote God's design everywhere I am. I'm going to promote God's design, what God intended, help the next generation succeed, be the foundation for the next generation. And so that's so important. So as we come to this final thought Yes, God instituted the home. It's God's design. Man did not come up with this, and man cannot demolish this design. The Supreme Court cannot make a ruling that just, you know, nixes God's design. It's already been designed. It's already been settled. And by the way, the Bible says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And as we come to the first pages of the Bible, we see that God was the one that formed and designed and instituted the home. That's a part of that forever, O Lord, thy word, your revelation is forever settled in heaven. It's already designed. And we do well in a, an increasingly perverse generation to say, God, we're standing by your design. We acknowledge it, we submit to it, and we're going to promote it. And God will give you plenty of opportunities uh, the Lord knows the opportunities that are ahead of you this, this week to just simply say, you know what, this is, as for me and my house, we're following God. Uh, there are people are going to look at you and sometimes say, do you really intend to keep that position? And you need to be able to say with utmost confidence, I'm following God no matter who follows me. And there needs to be dads in here with that type of conviction. I'm following God no matter who follows me. No matter who ridicules me, no matter who's against me, I'm following God no matter what. And we need dads with courage to stand up in this day. Don't, don't, we can't put it over on the wives. We need dads with courage that are going to stand up in this day. And so I want to bring us to this last thought here in this, in this message that was all supposed to be in one, one, uh, one time. I, God knows, all right? I'm a, I'm a very, you know, I have, I have three points. I want to get all through it. And, you know, it just, uh, the Lord knows. He, knows. he knows who's here this morning, and he knows what we all need, all right? So let's get this thought this morning, this main thought is that God arranged the home. And in the first chapters of the Bible, God sets the arrangement of the home. We do not even have to go to Ephesians, though we'll touch at Ephesians. We do not even have to go to Ephesians to figure out what God's design was for our homes. And when we vary from that design, there will always, always, always be chaos. And I loved what our brother said a moment ago. Pragmatism always, I mean, it always destroys uh, the, the Christian walk. We start saying, well, this is just the practical, logical way that it should go. No, we need to always go back to the Bible. What does the Bible say? Avoid pragmatism. You know, the end justifies the means. Well, this seems like it worked for, that, um, for this, this um, person. It seems like it's working right now. You know, God has, God has all of time and eternity as his experience. And he gave us his word. And if we'll simply follow it, we might have the experience of 15 years or, or, or 35 years or whatever it is. But if we'll follow God's design and promote it, well, we have the experience of all time and eternity right here. And God says this is the way. And so he arranged the home. And I want you to notice the roles that he gave within the home. This is very important for us all to understand. He gave these roles within the home. Look at Genesis 2 and verse number 15. Look there with me. The Bible says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden 
to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. That's pretty clear, guys, right? For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And here's what I want us to understand. When God arranged the home, he first arranged it and gave the husband a responsibility. He gave husbands a responsibility. How many of you are husbands today? Raise your hand. You understand that right now, you with your hands raised have a responsibility before Almighty God. He is the one that in the first, uh, the second chapter here in Genesis gave responsibility, first of all, in verse 15, for Adam to provide for his family physically. Notice there that he is not talking to Eve here. Hey, Eve, I want you to go out and tend the garden. First of all and foremost, Adam was given the responsibility to dress and keep the garden. You know, there was work in paradise. And from time to time, I hear people say that work is a part of the curse. Oh, no, it was not. In fact, I believe that we'll be serving God in heaven. And the only difference is that we'll have glorified bodies with no aches and no pains and they won't wear out and we can serve him just like you know in 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 an infinite way won't that be awesome and if you don't like serving god right now it's going to be a a hard a hard time in heaven get used to serving god we're going to serve god and we're going to work for him we're going to be bringing glory to him in such a, a wonderful way and adam was placed in the garden and god says here's your job adam Here's what you are to do and physically to provide, physically to keep and dress and and make sure that things were going well in in the garden. Now, after sin came in, that work increased dramatically. Now, Adam, you're gonna have to break a sweat. It's not going to be easy. You come home from a hard day of work and, and you realize, boy, this really took work. I am worn out. Yeah, the curse. Sin caused that to happen. Man would now have to sweat and toil and work very hard in order to um, provide for his family. But I want us to realize Adam was assigned with this task first. Guys, don't, don't begrudge the fact that you're the provider of your family. And don't forget the fact that God gave you that opportunity and that if God has given you that opportunity, he will enable you to do it. Don't begrudge that. Now, I realize that there are some women that will work outside of the home and they will be a part of that provision. But I want us to realize God initially placed that on the man. So take that responsibility. Glory in that responsibility. That is something God has given to you. Now think about it. Number two, I want you to notice that he was given the responsibility to lead spiritually because in verses 16 and 17, who did God come to and say, Adam, I have some instruction for you? It was Adam. Uh, Every tree of the garden, you can eat of it, Adam. Now remember, chapter two is kind of a a, a blow up, a, a, a magnification of chapter number one. And so we're still at, God has created Adam. He's not yet created Eve. And he is saying to Adam, before Eve is created, he's saying to Adam, listen, of every tree of the garden, you're allowed to eat, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you know what Adam was going to have to do? He was going to have to go and tell his wife and his future children, this tree is off limits, God said so. And you know who God assigned first the responsibility to take his word and deliver it to a wife and deliver it to children? It was Adam, it was the man. Listen, guys, you say, I don't know that I can lead spiritually. God has designed it and he has given you the responsibility to lead in your family. 
Do not leave it over to your wife to, to be the spiritual leader in your family. Do not leave it over to your wife to be the one that says, come on, it's Sunday, let's go to church. That is wrong. You are abdicating your responsibility if you do that. You say, well, I just don't read scripture in, into my family. You're abdicating responsibility. That is God's responsibility he has given to you. Well, you know, my wife's better with words and, and so forth. You need to get before your God and you need to ask him for grace to help you to be able to communicate this to your family and even to your wife to lead her spiritually. This is what God has taught me. Now, I know maybe in some of your hearts, maybe you know, there's a little bit of sinking. Guys, if there's that sinking in your heart, remember, God's the one that gave that responsibility to you and he can also help you with that responsibility. You trust in yourself, you have no strength, right? I'm there, no strength. God, I don't know how to lead my wife and five kids. I don't know how to, um, to deal with these spiritual issues that come up in front of me. I don't know how. Would you please help me? You know what? God helps. He does. But you have to realize this is God's order. He's given you this responsibility. And I realize I'm talking to some families, there's not a, a dad in the home. I understand that. And even as you hear this, I, I, I encourage you to say, you know what? I acknowledge that that is God's design and I, uh, I acknowledge it and I, I will promote that. I will encourage that even in the next generation or as I have opportunity. But we still have to look at God's design. And so Adam was given this command of God and also told him, the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. And I want you to notice and turn over to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 11. When God came down after Eve and then Adam ate the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do you want to see who God held responsible for that home? Do you know who God spoke to first? Look at verse 11. And he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? You remember what we learned a few weeks ago in, uh, as we, we took time on the I Love the Bible Sunday that in your, in your Bible here this morning, thee and thou are singular. This was a very, very defined moment with God and Adam. Hey, Adam. Do you remember what I told you? Oh, did, didn't you mean that for Eve too? No, no, no. We're not dealing with Eve right now. I'm talking to you, Adam. Adam, do you remember what I told you? And you know what I, do you remember how I told you not to eat of this tree? He held Adam responsible right there. He came to him first. Guys, that's exactly what God holds us responsible in the same exact way. We are responsible to lead our families spiritually, to take the revelation of God, to take the word of God and communicate it in a way. And so the Bible affirms that in Ephesians chapter 5, and verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. What is God saying? Hey, there's a picture here within marriage, uh, the picture of Christ in his church, and so the husband is the head of the body. He is the leader of the body. He's the leader of the family, and this isn't, this isn't who's better or not, who's who has, more, who has more smarts or more intellect. We're not even talking about that. We are talking about God-designed order and roles. God said, I have made you the head, and I hold you responsible for what happens in your home. Well, it's just the wife, it's just the children. Just, and we can do this hands-off thing, but God holds us responsible. And if there's something we're coming up against that we cannot change, 
we better do very well to get on our knees and seek our, our, our God and say, God, I need your help to break through this issue. But you are responsible. You will not be able to, in heaven, before God, say, you know what? It was the wife you gave me. Someone already tried that. And it didn't work. Yeah, this is really serious. Because, guys, listen. Remember what we said? Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell would, shall not prevail against it. We talked about how that Jesus is promised to build his church, and he will build a strong church. But you know what a church is built upon? What's the element of a church? A strong family. If you're not leading your home, guys, as God has said, you are also impacting the strength of the Grace Baptist Church. If your homes are, are alert by the world, and if your children are alert by the world and they're going their own way, and I'm not saying, we just talked about, it, there's a propensity, we should be praying for one another that way. But if you're not leading your home spiritually, it is impacting the Grace Baptist Church. It's impacting the, the spiritual fervency of the Grace Baptist Church. It's impacting the, the ability for it to be built in a way that pleases God. And so Adam is held responsible. He's the head of the home. He's the leader. That's what the word head means. It's the one who has the, has the lead. And, and so Adam should have the lead, and you should have the, the lead in prayer within your home. Do your, does your wife hear you pray? Or is it that, that's kind of the wife's thing. I'm amazed at how many times men will not lead in prayer right within their homes. Your wife needs to hear you pray, men. Is there a problem? Is there a problem in your home? Is there something, there's a bill that came in and you said, we can't handle that and you're falling apart. The first response of you as a guy ought to be, hon, let's pray together. Let's take this to God. Your wife needs to see you saying, we're going to bring everything to God. Your wife's overwhelmed, let's pray about it. You're having trouble with your children, let's pray about it. You lead out in the home. There's problems with the grandchildren, let's pray about it. There's problems with a, a relationship that, uh, in, in your wife's life or your life. Let's pray about it. Let's bring everything to prayer audibly, out loud, praying together. Uh, and to lead, in, on just, not in just prayer, but in the, the teaching of the Scripture. The Bible says, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. The Bible says that because that's the propensity of dads, to provoke, provoke to wrath, to, to drive so hard that it drives to wrath. But God says, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now think about that, guys. We are to be nurturing them, nurturing our children in the Lord, bringing them along bit by bit by bit. You're to lead your family to serve the Lord and serve with them. Did not our Lord serve with his disciples? Yes, he sure did. There's a difference when we think about the dad leading in the home, about letting things happen or taking the lead. I see that in the matter of, of setting the principles, the rules, and the standards within the home. So many times, well, that's just what the kids want to do. But think, dads, you have been set I wonder if they had had kids yet, if Adam, if Adam would not have done this, if he wouldn't have been wise to say, you know what, and even for his wife, he'd say, you know, we're not even going to go over in that part of the garden. You know what that would have been? would have been a standard. It was sin to eat the fruit. It would have been a standard for them to say, you know, we're not even going to go over on that side of the garden. And Adam would have been wise and right to do that. And you know, men, you are responsible before God to set the rules according to God's principles, according to his truth, and uh, set the standards for your home. We're not even going to go close to it. 
You know, something as I think about it, oftentimes standards are belittled, and standards are really, really great. They're just fences so you don't fall off cliffs. They don't mess up your life. I was out in California a couple years back, and we were uh, over on the, uh, um, on the coast, and we were right up against the edge. I don't have a picture for you, but we were right up against the edge. There was a, there was a fence there, and there was a bunny rabbit on the other side. You know, that, that reminded me of, I took a picture of it because it reminded me of sometimes people saying, you know, standards aren't important. Standards aren't important. But yes, they are. And you know it once you fall off a cliff. And a standard is simply a fence that helps me, a, a personally decided fence that helps me uh, keep me from falling off the cliff of sin, from violating God's word. So every dad in here has the responsibility to set the standards for your home and to manage those standards. I, as a pastor, have a responsibility to set standards. There are standards, even as you think about we work in an adventure camp, there's standards, there's stress standards that we ask of you that are, that are listed out, we ask of you. That's a standard that I, as a pastor, have a responsibility to set the standard for uh, church ministry here. I respect you dads for setting the standard in your home. I ask the same respect as I set standards for the, the church because God has tasked me with that responsibility, but we are responsible to set standards within the home. Don't say, well, standards are passe. No, God has set you as a spiritual leader within your home. You set the standard within your home. What they don't like it, you are responsible to God, not to your children. You are responsible to God to set the standard within your home. I know that's not popular. But friends, something that people might not, might not totally realize about the experience you say, well, Pastor, you only have, you, you have five kids and they're all not teenagers yet. I understand that. I understand that. I know I have a lot more road to go. But I grew up watching, watching. I had a front row seat my whole growing up years on watching families from churches just like ours at absolute breaking points where they were bringing their kids to a boarding school saying, we can't do anything more. I watched the fruit of dads not setting standards in the home, not being the spiritual leader, and of children rebelling. I watched the fruit of that. And friends, you know what? I have a big heart. When I see, when I see some of that going on in Christian homes, I'm saying, no, no, this isn't the way it's supposed to be, but I watch it repeated over and over, the heartbreak and the, um, the turmoil of that. Friends, it's serious. When we get away from God's created order, his design there's always going to be chaos. Satan is always going to work through that. There's going to be problems. How much better is it for us to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord? That wasn't popular for Joshua to say. But it is a needed statement on the part of us as, as dads within the home. This is the responsibility that God gave us. And this does not mean I take dictatorial rule. That's not at all, because I want to quickly help us to realize the Bible also affirms this thought, that we as husbands are to unconditionally love our wives. So you take everything, I take what God has given me, and I, in an unconditionally loving way, I, in, I inform, I instruct, I bring along, I lead in my home. God doesn't bless, brash, and nasty leadership. That's not what he's asking of us. Uh, he's not asking you to be, uh, be like the, uh, the king that gives an edict within your home. You lead with love. And you know what? The Holy Spirit's there to help us with that. How important this is. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wife. Now notice, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Guys, our responsibility before God 
is to give and give and give and to sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice for our wives and our families. You know, sometimes, and we say it in jest sometimes, but, you know, a wife has a, a need list. It's uh, sometimes called like a honey-do list. You know what, guys? You and I have the, the privilege and the responsibility to meet her needs. And I hear no amen, so maybe we should just park there and finish the sermon up next week. You know, sometimes we get in, get in this, this idea, this mindset, we get grumpy about that. But won't she ever, you know, won't the list ever be finished? Your wife has needs. Now, there's sometimes maybe that sh she can learn patience and all that. And ladies, that's something that, that you have to consider and work out with God. Understanding times and all, all that type of stuff, but the idea that, you know, I, I don't want to help. You were placed in her life to unconditionally sacrifice yourself for her. That's big stuff. That's really big stuff. So we unconditionally love. And guys, can I encourage you with this? That a woman who is unconditionally loved will become more lovely. My wife isn't very lovely. Then love her. Love her. Make her the loveliest. Make it, make it that she is the most loved woman around. And when you love her in that way, it's amazing how God has designed it in her heart to respond to that. And so men, while your wife may work outside the home, remember it's your responsibility ultimately before God to physically provide. It is your responsibility to lead the home spiritually. It's your responsibility to love, not just in word. Not with just throwing flowers at it. But in action. Aren't you thankful God didn't just, uh, and Jesus didn't just throw something at us and say, you know, I, I love you, but I'm not willing to go all the way to the cross for you. No, he went all the way to the cross. He sacrificed his life. And that is the very illustration that God gives to us in how we are to love our wives. None of us have died yet loving our wives, have we? Hello. Right? No, none of us have died yet. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. How many of you guys would say a hearty amen? Do we need God's help with that? Amen. amen. There's one hearty amen here this morning. All right. So, but I want to I jump to the ladies in verse number 18. He gave the wife opportunity in verse number 18 of uh, Genesis 2. And the Lord God said, I, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. Okay, so I want us to think about this. He gave the wife opportunity. He gave the wife opportunity. And two thoughts. He gave the wife opportunity, first of all, to help. Now, how many of you wives would just give a more hearty amen to the fact that your husband needs help? You're nervous. Now, God said it. God said it. And every, every husband in here who is not stuck on himself knows that he needs help. It's true. We need help, and we need it desperately. And so God said, I'm going to create a, a, a help me for him. Now, think about this word help me, and we don't, we don't, I don't refer to my wife as my help me, okay, because it's, it, it, we'll, we'll define it here in a second, but it's, it's an interesting terminology that we need, to, we need to think about. But I do want us to think about this. Wives are not a doormat. 
ladies, you have full permission to wave hankies and to do, I mean, this is your time to say amen. But wives are not a doormat. They're not the punchline to a joke. They're not the old woman. They're not the ball and chain. Why are there so many times that in the world bachelor parties, your last fling before you get hooked up to the ball and chain, how godless. God designed this. This is a beautiful thing. This is a privilege. This is a wonderful thing. Man, it's wonderful. The wife is a helper suitable for him. And that's what the idea of meat means, suitable or fit. Do you know what? God has designed it that every man has a helper that is fit for him, that is suitable for him. Not suitable for someone else, suitable for him. You know, I even looked at this as we, we read down through that, that God created this woman and brought her to Adam and just realizing that God's design from the beginning was that he was the one who created a woman for the man. And you know what? Today you can trust, if you're not married yet, you can trust that God still in the same exact way, he doesn't change, in the same way has created someone for you. And if you'll wait on his timing, he will bring that person into your life. I believe that with every bit of my heart. And I challenge every child here, every teenager here to believe that and trust that by faith. God will make good on that. And so he brings this woman to Adam. And he says, this is a help meet for you. And you know what? God, God indicated here that he thinks man needs help. That's not, wives didn't come up with that. Ladies didn't come up with that. God came up with that. God said, man needs help. Verse number 18, man needs help. And you know what? He even made it, went so far as to help Adam come to that personal, real, personal realization as well. Because in verse number 20, he knocks him out. Well, in verse number 20, he actually has him go name all the animals in the animal kingdom and goes all the way along. There's a Mr. Giraffe and a Mrs. Giraffe. There's a Mr. Cat and a Mrs. Cat. And he goes all the way through all of creation and Adam's like, smart man. There's no deterioration of brain, but real smart man. But finally, at the end of all this naming, he begins to realize, you know what? There's a Mr. Adam, but there is no Mrs. Adam. And you know, God has a way of bringing us to our realizations of our own need. And he brought Adam to the realization of his own need for a help suitable for him. And he did that. And so a wife is given as a helper. Now, the world tells you, ladies, to resist that, run from that, that's, that's a patriarchal, that is, that's, that's old, that's medieval. No, it's, it's God. God designed this. And we can rebel in our culture all that we want against it, but this is God's design. And the fact is, I've told my, my kids over and over, that the way of the transgressor is hard, the, the way, the person that says, I'll go my own way, I really don't care what God has to say, there will always be hardship in that. Because God knows the way it's supposed to work. Just like, a, just like a, a car company knows the way a car should work and what, it, what kind of oil it should take and what kind of antifreeze. I drive a Honda, and you know what? You have to be super picky about the kind of antifreeze you put inside those things. Because if you don't, they, and they make, you know, just corrode out or do something. You know what? I'm very careful uh, about consulting the owner's manual and getting secondary advice before I put anything inside that. Why? Because they know how it's going to work. I'm not even going to argue about that. God already knows how it's going to work. 
And he says woman, the woman is to be a helper to the husband, a help suitable for him. God says nothing about IQ level. He doesn't say anything. This has nothing. This is not attached to value in a sense, like who's more valuable than the other. That's not the point here. The point is God's created order. Man is given a responsibility. La uh, the lady is given a opportunity to be a helper. And notice, as the man was told to love unconditionally, the woman in, in Ephesians chapter 5 and 22 and 33 is told to respect unconditionally. Now, you think about this. I, I am amazed at sometimes how, how the world talks about one another in a, in a relationship. The old hag, you know what she did? You know what? She, she's just such a nag. And all these different things, the most disrespectful words that come out of people's mouths towards their spouse, that ought not be inside of a Christian marriage. God says that the wife is to reverence her husband. Now, this isn't like she's, you know, to fall down on her knees and, you know, kiss his toe or something like that. And we're not talking about something like that. This is an attitude of respect. And I'll guarantee you this, that a husband respected will become more respectable. I have nothing I respect him about, a wife might say. You give him respect, you even utter the words, I respect you for going to work every day. You will find that you will revolutionize because these are two things that God said to do. Husbands, you love your wives. Wives, you respect your husbands. And one of the ways that a wife respects her husband is by following his spiritual lead. Now, I can guarantee you in an audience this size that there are some husbands that have some burdens on their heart given by God but they are too afraid to say it to their wives for fear of what she might say and push back about. It might have to do with service. It might have to do with dedication. It might have to do with geographic location. But I'm, telling, I'm saying, as a wife, if you will honor God and you will respect your husband and respect the lead that God has given him and tasked him with, well, I don't agree with everything he does, you don't have to publish that all over. You don't have to let everyone know about that respect his leadership and pray for him in the similar way that I, I, I told the, the men you need to pray if there's a problem you're having to, to break through pray to God ask God for the strength to break through that but uh, ladies you are told to respect your husband and part of that is by following the lead that God has given him he did not take that on himself that is a responsibility he has from God and I'll tell you there are times that that a woman might say, you know, I don't think he's going the right way. I think this is going to end up in a, full, uh, you know, in, in, in a hurtful way. There's going to be problems at the end of this decision. And you say, I got to do something about it. Listen, God sees your husband. He sees the decision that he's making. He's going to hold your husband responsible for that. You would do well to duck and let God hit your husband rather than getting in God's way. God will take care of your husband. God will lead your husband. But sometimes you try to get in the place of God and try to lead your husband for, um, for God. That isn't the way to do it. Let God, let God hold him accountable. And let, <laughs> I don't know if this is the right thing to say, but you know, it just, I, I've told the guys, you're accountable to God. But you know, ladies, if <laughs> it's your decision, you're accountable to God. And let God created order work in your family. You know, this doesn't matter this does not matter if you still have children at home. This is God's created order. This is what God has designed in, in the Word. You can study out uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and there's so much more that is fleshed out. But women, can I encourage you to find your fulfillment? Yes, I said fulfillment. Your satisfaction in accomplishing your God-given opportunities. 
your opportunity to help, your opportunity to respect, to respect him. Find fulfillment in, in doing that. And then I want to say lastly uh, this morning, as we would think about the other element of the home, that God did not just give the husband responsibility and the wife opportunity, but he gave the children parents. Now you say that, that's very, very basic. Yes, it is. Go to uh, Genesis chapter number 4 and verse number 1. Genesis 4 and verse number 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, are you there? Can you see that last phrase with me? Let's read it out loud together. Ready, begin. I have gotten a man from the Lord. I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now, Eve recognized early on that this gift of Cain was from God. She did not have to be told that anymore. She realized that right here at the outset, this, this child is a gift from God. Uh, this is not something I came up with. This is something God has given to us from the Lord. We are stewards of this child, and we are to instruct him. This is from the Lord. Lo, children are the heritage of the Lord, the Bible says. They're not just, a, you know, they're not just an, an accident or a problem or you know, a frustration. No, children are the heritage of the Lord, God said. Our world talks about children. Oh, you got five kids. You know, that's just a mind-blowing. You know, how do you? Children are an heritage of the Lord. Is parenting? Yes. Brother Grant? Yes. And all your grandparents, I heard as you say, you get to go visit them. And I loved what you said there. It was like, it went so quick. It was like five minutes underwater. I mean, that's just, that is a classic, that's a classic line. It's so, but you know, uh, parenting is difficult and it's not getting less difficult. And it was difficult in that day as well for Adam and Eve. Even when no one else was around, they still had problems. I mean, literally, kids kill each other. I mean, not, I mean they weren't just fighting. They, were, they, they killed each other. They had problems. But God gave that child to Adam and Eve. It's from the Lord. Eve recognized that. We do well to recognize that every child is from the Lord. Parents, we do well to recognize that. We didn't come up with this idea. God, as a miracle, gave us this child. He opened up the womb. Now, here's what I want us to understand here this morning. Where did Cain and Abel get the instruction for the offerings that they were going to bring to the Lord later on? Where did they get the instruction? Where did they get the know-how? Where did Abel get the know-how to bring, bring a blood sacrifice? And where did, where did a, uh, Cain go off in the bringing of the fruit of the ground? Where did they get the instruction? I want to just help us to understand here this morning that the Bible helps us to realize Genesis 3 and verse number 20, 21, and unto Adam also and to his wee, uh, wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. Do you know? remember what happened right after uh, God comes down and trying to find Adam and Eve? He didn't lose them, but he was looking for them, calling their name and saying after they, they had sinned. And what had happened is they sinned, and the Bible says they immediately knew that they were naked and they were ashamed. And so as, Adam, as God comes down and begins to deal with them, they had gotten fig leaves and they had tried to cover themselves. 
But the Bible helps us to realize in verse number 21 of chapter 3 that God said, no, this is not good enough. He killed an animal and he created, he created and gave them, out of, from the animal skin, he gave them clothes. The Bible actually, when it says and he clothed them, it actually means to clothe around. He actually covered them. What the fig leaves did not cover in front of God. There weren't a bunch of other people in the world right now, and I just want us to realize Oftentimes we think that modesty is just for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But listen, modesty is for God. God came up with clothing. And while our world is on a fast track to take off as much clothing, and even Christians on a fast track, oh, we're going to the beach, so it really doesn't matter if we take off our clothing and we, we're around in the skimpiest clothing around. Listen, the fact of the matter is, that is in modesty before God. He's the one that clothed human beings and says, it's shameful to be unclothed. It's shameful to be naked. It's shameful to reveal yourself. And so God was the one that, that came up with the clothing. But in that, he set in order animal sacrifice. In the early spring, there has, something has to die for your sin. And so as Cain and Abel grow up in the process of time, Genesis chapter number 4 and verse number 3, in the process of time, it came to pass... Well, what came to pass? Well, they need a, they need, they're responsible to God and they need to bring a, a sacrifice to God. And so Abel says, well, you know what? Dad always said, you know what? God wanted a, an animal sacrifice, so I'll bring the best of my flock. Cain says, I'm not asking my brother um, Abel for a, for a lamb. That's crazy. I'll bring my own stuff to God and I'll bring the fruit of the ground. And so he brings the fruit of his labor. Doesn't that sound like a whole system of thought about how we gain access to God? I'll bring the fruit of my works, my good works to God, and I'll bring this to him. And you know what? God will be pleased. And you know what? God wasn't. Now, here's what I find very, very amazing. God gave this revelation to Adam and holds Cain responsible for what he would have learned from Adam. Do you realize God has given each child a parent to instruct them in the ways of God? To say, this is what the Bible says. This is what I've heard from God. This is what his word says. And we do well as a family to follow it. And so when they grow up and they go on their own way, they have heard what God has said and what God expects of them from who? Their parents. That's your responsibility, dads, to lead out in that. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 7 helps us understand that. But God held Cain accountable for what Adam had been taught from, the, um, from God concerning the offerings and the dealing with sin. And by the way, I'll just add it in again. I think also dads have a responsibility to continue to teach their children and their families what God says about being clothed. Don't let the world set the standard for your home. Let God set the standard for your home. He said we are to be clothed. That honors him. I have no problem in the world saying that at all. I know that's as unpopular as the day is long in a world like we live in and in, in Christian circles like we live. But the fact of the matter is God clothed and it was a matter of shame. It was an exposure of their sin before a holy God. And he says, you know what? This needs to be clothed. This needs to be clothed. And so along with a blood sacrifice, there was, uh, there was a clothing in the dealing of sin. God has a way, and we do well to follow his way. And so ultimately, the children in Adam's home and in my home are to be trained, are to be trained, and I say again, are to be trained to obey the parents so that they will know how to obey God. 
And here's the big thing that we're missing today. We think we have the kids and, you know, we can just let them do what they want to do and, and go their own way. That is what the world teaches us. They'll figure it out on their own way. God was the one who said, Adam, you train your kids to do what I've said. And when they do not obey, when they're all out of the home, I will hold them responsible for what I trained you in. This is wildly important. Why is it that we have generation after generation of young people walking off into the world and going their own way? They have a free will. I understand that. Oh, do I understand that. I've seen that, and I've had a front row seat to that. But I'm, I'm saying that we have the responsibility to take the word of God and say, you are to obey me, not because I'm egotistical. You're to obey me because God said so. This is so important. Children are to be trained to obey their parents so they'll know how to obey God. Why do we have a generation that's jumping on police cars all across our nation, torching cities? Because they were never trained to obey their parents. And so when the law enforcement comes up against them and says, hey, you're not allowed to do that. Do you understand that we have, they are confronted in that and they, they don't like that. We have a generation that does not know how to obey. Now, there are some things wrong in our society, and I'm not just um, painting broad brushing, um, broad brushing that. I understand there's many more things that are going on in our, our society, but I am saying there is a spirit of rebellion that is washed over our society. And friends, there have been many homes that never taught their children to obey, and part of it is many unsaved homes that didn't know that this was a process that was supposed to go to. But I'm telling you, there are many parents in Christian homes that call themselves Christian homes that do not teach their kids to obey them because one day that is what they need to do to God. So think about this. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 7, thou shalt teach them diligently, what? God's word. Who God is. Teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. So sometimes we get in our mind, well, if I just have family devotions one time a day, it'll all be good. No. God wants you, when you wake up, to teach your children the Bible. When you walk to school, teach your children the Bible. When you are on lunch break, teach your children the Bible. When you sit down for dinner, teach your children the Bible. When they infringe and disobey God's word, teach them the Bible. Every single moment of the day, you are to be a teacher to your children in matters of God. That's God's order. It's not confined to Sunday. And please, please, please hear me well. It is not the church's responsibility to teach your children spiritual matters. You have been given that task. The church supplements that. The church should affirm that, but you should already have your Bible open, and they should know verses from dad's mouth during the week. They should be hearing instruction along the way. Teach them diligently, not half-heartedly, not sporadically, but teach them diligently unto thy children. Hey, dads, I have a question on the way home. What is going to dominate the, on the conversation in the car? One of the questions ought to be, what did you learn at church today? Here's what dad learned at church today. Hey, children, by the way, do you know what? As we've heard this and I've been just reacquainted with God's created order, I, I think we need to have a family discussion and pray, um, pray about a few things that God has touched my heart about. That would be the right response. That would be a very good and, and, and wise response. And so we're constantly training and bringing them along, and we train. And I use that word train on purpose because this isn't, we don't just let them grow. We have some strawberries in our side yard. And quite honestly, we don't, we don't go out there and tend them every day. They've given us some strawberries kind of by accident, and they're really great strawberries, but we don't go out there and tend every day. We don't, we don't watch, carefully watch over them every day. And we are 
we're actually not getting as good of a crop as we could if we go out there and tend it every day. The fact is, your children need to be tended to and trained and trained and trained and trained and brought along. That's what God's word said. I'm not saying that from personal experience. I'm saying that because that's what God says. Train them diligently. Teach them. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Get it so locked in his heart that even if he strays from the Lord um, for a time, that in his mind, over and over and over again, the words of mom ring clear, and the words of dad ring clear, as verses of Scripture come to mind, and as principles of of the Word of God come to mind, and they cannot go far because they've been trained in the way they should go. We have a peach tree out front. I think we're going to get peaches out of it this year as long as uh, those cicadas don't get it. But you know when we put that thing in? We put a training post. I didn't want that peach tree to go like this or like this or like this. I wanted it to shoot straight up to put a training post. You know, sometimes training isn't comfortable. It takes work. It takes determination. It's straight doesn't get to blow with the wind, right? But God says you're to train up a child in the way it should go. You know the way it should go? Right here. This is the manual. Not Dr. Spock, as maybe not every, every person here knows what that is. If not, don't read it. It's not worth your time. Use it as kindling. God already gave us a manual. The book of Proverbs is full about child training. There's stories all over the Bible about child training. Use the word of God. Timothy was trained in the Holy Scriptures from an infant, the Bible says. You said from an infant? Yeah. The word actually means it's not just the child. That from a child that was known in the Holy Scriptures, actually it's the word for infant. It's amazing. So mom and grandma in that situation, unsaved dad in that situation, they knew that there was power in the word of God and they traded Timothy. And who was Timothy? The son in the faith to Paul. And he got the pastor of the church of Ephesus. He did a mighty work for God. In fact, Paul says, I don't have any other man who naturally cares for, the thing, um, uh, naturally cares for people like Timothy does. Where did he get his training? From the word of God. You know, a home should not be child-centered. true you know what happens in a child center home a child is trained to do and to obey when a child wants to corrections viewed as mean damaging to the child's psyche and not in the child's best interest discipline is usually a last resort and it's done with frustration oftentimes in a child-centered home so you come down to that you think about uh, the issue a, a child lies in a child-centered home why is a lie or being unkind or disobeying mom wrong well, here's, here's what happens. The parents say, you know, it's just a phase they'll grow out of. No, it, it's wrong here. Disobedience is wrong at this age, and it's wrong at the adult age. And it has to be trained out. It has to be brought along. You think about that. A child-centered home is not the home that God wants. A, a, a home that is parent-centered is equally as, as bad, and, and, and uh, against Scripture, it's In this home, a child is trained to obey based on the parent's preferences. Well, dad doesn't like that or mom doesn't like that, so we don't do that here. 
Now, there is room for preference within the home. How many of your parents agree with that, right? There's room for preference, you know what? Uh, where the socks go and that type of stuff. You know, I understand there's room for preference. But you understand in a, in a, a parent-centered home, oftentimes the training happens based solely on the parent's preference or their, or their convenience. And correction often takes place when the parents are frustrated enough to deal with it and their own convenience is violated. Oh, you just, you're getting on my last nerve and I'm going to... Mm, Take you out. Wait, what did someone say that uh, uh, that grandchildren are the the reward for not killing your children? Did I hear someone say that? Um, but you you understand, you know, some of those moments. But if if it's all about us in the home, we are the center of the home. Something's wrong. If you are the center of your marriage, your marriage will have problems. Right? If you are the center of your home, you, it's going to have problems. So you come to a situation where there's lying or unkindness or disobedience, and you say, why is this wrong in a parent-centered home? Well, because mommy and daddy said it was wrong. Because it made mommy look bad in an embarrassed daddy. Oh, that's an awful thing to teach. It gets a little bit there, but it, it, it doesn't go all the way. A God-centered home is what we need. It's what every one of us need, whether you have children at home or not. It's what every one of us need. And by the way, a Christ-centered church is what we need. That's what we need. That's the only way that Jesus can build his church if Christ has the preeminence in the church. So a God-centered home is what we need. Every family at Grace Baptist Church needs to have a God-centered home if we expect to have a Christ-centered church. In these types of homes... A child is trained to obey based on the principles and truths of God's word. God's word is the standard, and God's word is the law. These are taught as well enforced by the parents, especially the dad leading out, on the behalf of God. You are God's ambassadors. You are God's stewards of those children. And correction is according to God's word, and may I hasten to add, it's regulated by God's word. Well, the world might like to say, cry abuse and abuse and abuse. I understand that God's word never leads us to abuse children. Can I get an amen? amen? Never once does God's word do it. It regulates the discipline, and discipline, when we are listening to God, will always be consistent, not according to our own preference or when it violates our convenience. And so when lying or unkindness or disobedience comes up, why is this wrong, Johnny? Not because it embarrasses daddy. Not because you embarrassed daddy in front of the church people, but because God said so. You see the difference? It's a huge difference. Because God said so. Parents, we must get the heart of our children, and we must get to the heart of the matter and address it biblically. What does God's word say? Hey, dads, you're having a a problem with your child. Go to the word of God. What does God's word say? And say, I am obligated. I have a responsibility before God to lead you. I must do this. I must ask this of you. This is what God's word says. We get to the heart of the matter. We deal with it biblically. And do you know what? Your words will have more power when they're the word of God. Who gives you the authority to say that? God does. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How many of you dads feel really good about that right now? I mean, that's, that's a liberating thing to be able to go, hey, this is actually what your creator said, the one who gave you life. He said to do this, and this is what I'm going to lead you to do. And we're going to pray about it. I'm going to try to help you to do it. 
But listen, disobedience isn't just a matter between you and your child. It's a, dis, uh, it's a problem between them and their maker. And I need to get that, that, that line of communication open between them and their maker. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll be correcting my, my children and I'll say, before, after I'm done, I say, now you need to talk to God. Before you go talk to your parents about this, you need to talk to God. And I'm going to leave you here in this, on the, on the time to do that. Why? Because it's not a problem first with me, it's a problem with their maker. How important that is. And so we are not centering the home on us, we're centering it on God. And so the Bible is the one that says, children, obey your parents and the Lord. So right there, every parent in here has the obligation, the responsibility, and the opportunity to say, you will obey because God said so. Now make sure what you're asking them to obey falls in line with God's word. Because it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Why? That, your day, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Parents, you can pull it out once in a while. Hey, you want to have a long life? Obey mom and dad. It's true. How many, how many parents have seen their kids go in a way they, they chose to disobey their parents and they chose to dishonor God and they ended their life abruptly? God's word comes true. Just this week, I was talking to a mother who's grieving for over a year who had a child that would not listen and would not listen and would not listen, got some bad drugs and died immediately. And for a whole year, this, this woman is grieving to the point, cannot move on, just struggling. Well, my mind just goes, boy, if he had just listened, if he had just listened, if he just listened. Obey mom and dad. Why? It's right in the Lord, first of all. But if you want to live long life, obey mom and dad. I remember my great aunts who lived in Frankfort, Kentucky for many years in the same house they were born in, two blocks from the capital of Kentucky, and they would talk about this obeying in the Lord, obeying and living long life. They both lived into their 90s. Sweet, sweet, godly ladies. Never married. Got tired of boys chasing them. Never married. So they just, they, they died. Unmarried ladies in the same house. Two sisters in the same house. Beautiful, historic house. But they'd talk about this. Long life given to those that obey. want to touch on this. Three, three elements of biblical obedience. You can write this down. There's three elements. It's immediate. It's not when your child wants to. It's immediate. By the way, that's for teenagers too. You're still in the home. You've not left and married. It's still for you. Obey immediately. Immediately. Uh, obey completely. All the way. And obey with a happy heart. With the right attitude. Those are the three elements of, of obedience that parents, we have to be training and teaching our kids. That doesn't come naturally. How many of you have realized that doesn't come naturally? No, no, child. There are going to be times where it's a little bit difficult, but we're, uh, we are training them in that way. So arguing, temper tantrums, they don't just go away. We have to train that. We have to work and help them realize immediately when dad says to do this, this is what you need to do immediately because that's what we need to do to God. How did that show up in Jonah's life? What if Jonah had learned to obey as a child immediately? he would have not had to spend three days and three nights in a stinky belly of a whale. God has a way of reforming people, doesn't he? But you know what? You are training your children to obey God someday when they're out on their own, 
And so we want them to learn to obey God immediately. God said, go to the mission field. Yes, sir, I'll go. Not, but there's not much money to be made over there. There's not, I'll be away from my family. No, yes, sir, I will go. I'll figure out the details later. Completely, I'll go all the way. Didn't Saul learn something about not obeying completely? And you know what God said his rebellion was? As a sin of witchcraft. Yeah, we way too often sell our kids short. You did not obey completely. This is what I expected you to do. You know, even sometimes they'll throw out this, well, I just forgot to. You know what? It's not going to stand with God. Well, uh, Samuel, I, I forgot to kill all, you know, take care of this whole group of people. I, I forgot all your instructions. No, it didn't stand with, it doesn't stand with God. If they're respecting and, and listening to obey, they're going to listen so that they can obey completely. And we need to train them to that, that way. And then with the right attitude. Oh, the, the slumping the shoulders. <gasps> you know, that type of uh, ordeal. Or the, oh, brother, roll the eyes. That is not obedience. That is not obedience. It's not full obedience. And you allow that, you go on. Listen, they'll do that to an employer someday. They'll do that to a police officer someday. They'll do that to God someday. They'll walk around uh, the, their church as an uh, adult, grumpy whenever, they're, whenever God gets on their case. <gasps> God told me to do this. I can't believe God told me that. I can't do that. And I can't. You teach them to obey with the right attitude now. You say this is monumental. Yes, parenting is monumental. And I say that as one, you know, I think my arm, you know, is coming out of the water right now. I'm, I'm probably underwater as a parent. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying these are, this is the reality and this is what God expects of us. And so I, I'm going to throw in front of you a couple of resources that uh, might, uh, might be helpful to you if, you if you're a parent of young kids. I'd encourage you to think about reading Don't Make Me Count to Three. And uh, this whole thing, did I just hear an amen on that one? Don't make me count to three. This, this one, two, three. Listen, that's not immediate obedience. Well, as soon as dad gets to the three, I've even heard people go to five. All right, come on now. When is this going to end? Ten? You know, when is this going to end? So you teach them to obey immediately at the first. At the first. Now, you say, Pastor, I've seen your kids not obey immediately. Yes, and that's an ongoing project. <laughs> and you pray for me, and I'll pray for you. But you will not hear us saying one, two, three. No, because it's, it's not biblical. There is only one amen. It is not biblical. It is training them to delay their obedience, and ultimately they will do that to God someday. And they might do it not for one, two, three. They might do it for one, three, five, ten years. Well, I'll do it my way. No, no, no. This uh, book, Passionate in Parenting, for, uh, is, a parent that's, uh, is a book that's directed towards teens, written by Carrie Schmidt. Encourage, uh, encourage that. I was just talking to Brother Randall Gillespie, and he says, Brother, I, I really want to encourage you on this, on this book. He says, this is really ministered to my heart. And so I pass it along to you that, that might be going through that, that phase. And then let me just say this. Do not be afraid. We got so much coming into our ears from the world, but don't be afraid to seek counsel. Godly counsel. Don't be afraid of that. There's nothing wrong in the world. I can tell you how many times I've called up another um, parent that's way, uh, way further ahead of me, another pastor, and said, you know what? Hey, listen, I'm having this specific issue in my parenting, and I feel like I'm failing here. Uh, I don't feel like I'm doing the best here. Could you, could you give me some insight? Oh, yeah, you know, and, and they give some insight. That's a powerful thing. 
Don't be afraid to seek that counsel. So we have, we have covered a lot of territory over the last two weeks. And here's what I want us to remember. I'll bring it down to this. We acknowledge God's design. We submit to God's design. We don't, I'm, I'm, I'm literally talking about the, the choice of my heart and my will to submit to God's design. You say, I don't like some of the things that I've heard. Well, if you can prove them wrong from Scripture, then, then do so, okay? Um, and by the way, we are to study the Scriptures daily. We are to search the Scriptures and see whether these things be so. So don't just take my word on it. Go to the Bible, have your own convictions. But we have to submit to God's created order. We have to submit to his design. And we say yes to him, and then that gives us the platform to promote it. Maybe your life isn't what it, you would like it to be. Maybe it's not up to God's ideal. Maybe there's some things that really hurt you. Don't be content to let that pass on to the next generation. Help the next generation succeed and go further than you did. And every parent has that opportunity. That's a wonderful opportunity. In fact, every church member here has that opportunity. If you're an older lady here, you have the opportunity to help the younger ladies love the Lord, love their husbands, and walk in these ways. If you're an older man here, you have the opportunity to help younger men, not just single men, but young married men understand how they are to love their wives and some of the things that you've been through and, and, and help them along and help them to be sober and so forth and treat these matters with, with, uh, with a right mind and walk in a right way. And so we acknowledge, submit to it, and we promote, to it, uh, we promote it. And so as we just take a moment for prayer this morning, could I encourage you, and I thank you for your attention this morning, could I encourage you in these ways, these three specific ways, that we would acknowledge it, we'd submit to it, and we'd promote it because it's God's, it's God's stuff, it's God's de on design, and we need to value it. Let's bow for prayer. Would you stand with me? Our Father, this morning, I thank you for our congregation. I thank you for all that you've been able to show us this morning with our missionaries and, and Lord, how you're working in the world and even in our own community and through our lives, through our stories. Lord, now we just want to take uh, uh, this moment to simply tell you that we acknowledge your design is right. We acknowledge your design is right. And Lord, we want to submit to it where we've, we've fallen short of it, and we want to promote it, Lord, to this next generation and help others achieve it. So Lord, I pray that that would be the heart of every believer here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. With our heads bowed, I encourage you, let's pray this morning. Maybe you kneel there with your spouse, and you'd say, God, I want to acknowledge this. We've fallen a little short of this. We have some work to do, but by your grace and with your help, I'm going to make sure that your design is a reality in my, in my marriage and in my home. We're going to shoot for this. This is our goal. I wonder if there's some spouses that would simply pray together this morning before we leave. I wonder if there's some children who would acknowledge I've been rebellious to my parents. I've been rebellious. I've been going against some of the things my, my dad has been encouraging me and I've been rebellious. But this morning, I'm submitting to God, not just to my dad. I'm submitting to God. And I'm done with the rebellion. I'm not going on any longer that, uh, in that way. It might mean some radical change in your life. It might mean that you, uh, you stop doing something you're doing or start doing something that you've been refusing to do. But now's the day. Today's the day. Don't, don't harden your neck. Don't be rebellious. God's design is that you honor and you obey your parents. There may be some single folks here that need to pray, God, I want this to be the design of my life and I'm willing to wait on your timing. I'm willing to wait on your timing for this to be the reality. I'm willing to wait for you to bring that person to me like you did for Adam.
How many would say by way of testimony, God spoke to me specifically about his design here this morning. God spoke to me in a specific way. And I just want to give testimony. God is speaking to me in a specific way this morning. Would you raise your hand to that? Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm going to pray for you in a minute here. Because behind every one of those hands is, a, is an issue, that a burden that's on your heart. And you may not know how to get through it. Guys and ladies, I saw both raised. I guarantee you, if you would depend on the Lord, he will give you the strength to go through whatever you're facing. Whatever you're facing. Don't live in the rearview mirror. Don't live back there. All you can do is the future. So that's why I say acknowledge God's design, submit to it, and go forward with it. Our Father, you saw the hands that were just raised, and I thank you for the honesty of these folks. And I don't know what the specific instance is in their life, but I pray, God, by your Spirit, would you give them strength and power to go forward through those issues. And would you help them to honor you. And Lord, I pray that you would build strong families in this church, and that you would continue to build your church in this community. Uh, Lord, on the, on the backs, on us as, as, as families and so, Lord, I pray for every father, every husband here. Lord, give them the courage to lead in this home and to take responsibility before you. I pray for every wife that she would have just the, the grace to accept her, her opportunities to be a help to her husband and to, and to give respect. And, Lord, I pray for every child that you would help them and give such a settled conviction that they must honor and obey their parents because they must honor and obey you. So, Lord, we pray for each, each category of the home this morning and we commit them to you in jesus name amen amen thank you for listening today for more information about grace baptist church please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org and remember you are always welcome at grace baptist church